0: Welcome to Winning the Interview with Dan O'Matt, Leadership Insights. We taught you how to set the tone, treat the interview like a sales cycle, tell compelling deal stories, and win the compensation. In this final episode of Season 1, we welcome Jamie Cosgrove to the show. But before we do, be sure to subscribe to Season 2. It's coming in September on how to treat the onboarding process like a sales cycle. Jamie, We're excited for our listeners on what they're about to learn from you. Uh, Matt, I've never been on your team, uh, but we've walked the sales floor with you. And when you have others validating your leadership over decades, we know you're someone who can have an impact on others. Why don't you walk us through a bit of your background?
1: Well, you can see from the gray facial hair that I've been doing this a long time. Most of my career has been in tech sales. Most of my career has been selling to the enterprise and leading teams in the enterprise, right? So over the last 20 years worked for large. I started my career in telco selling big managed services to multinational customers and then moved to Salesforce and, you know, spent a lot of time there uh, early on, just in sort of a commercial mid market motion, leading a team as a frontline leader, launched the one of the first industry verticals there, which was financial services. And I did that for seven years before moving to a startup. I also ran, a, built a financial services business, uh, as well as their enterprise motion before coming to the current company I work for, which is Databricks, where again, building a financial services vertical for a data and AI company. For a little bit of context is, but over the last 10 years, it, there there were new organizations, right? New industry verticals, new businesses where you're sort of building everything. You're building the go-to-market motion You're hiring individual contributors. You're hiring leaders. You're hiring professional services people and, and solution architects. And I'd say you know, through that time, it's been either I've gravitated or they've put me in a position to go build those teams. And so I do a ton of hiring. I do a ton of interviewing and I do a ton of onboarding. It's actually probably the single biggest reason I've stayed in leadership. I really enjoy seeing people come in, be relatively green, teach them emotion and sort of have these life changing moments of like buying a house or having a kid, getting married. That's the stuff that I love because God knows I could have made more money as an individual contributor.
2: (laughs) I think rewind back to a couple of the podcasts that we've done early on where helping people are define their value proposition, know their story and what their differentiators are and bringing them into that discussion, presenting it in a confident way, right? As to to the impact you're going to make. And it can't be about you. It's got to be about the company or the leader you're going to serve. The other piece that I think is really interesting, you're asking questions that are very intentional, right? You're trying to get into a door that maybe isn't open yet because you really want to understand, first of all, are all the things you're telling me, first, are they true? And some of the perception can be based on how they say it, body language. There's other elements that you're going to read, right? Because you're in the business of reading people as well if you're in sales. And then the other piece is like, I want to make sure I'm getting the whole truth. For our listeners, you're trying, how do we help them see around corners? as you're asking those questions?
1: It's a really good question. I think Dan I think Dan posted this about the podcast, actually, it's just treating the interview like a sales process, right? Like I, I think a lot of it is the preparation that you do and sort of like being able to look around corners to me is just, it's kind of two concepts. It's one is being prepared for what does the person across the table like care about? Like what is gonna move the needle for them and trying to steer the conversation to get there? Because like one of the things that I love personally when somebody's interviewing is, When somebody takes my question and redirects my question, like literally just takes it and says, I'd love to answer that question for you, but I think what you're really asking is this and sort of taking it to a place where you're going to go win that conversation, right? Like it is like a deal site. It's like a sales call, right? You want to go fight on the battlefield that you want to go fight on where you can win. And sometimes you you don't get that opportunity. So it's like, how do I kind of redirect the conversation to get to where I can, I know I can take it because I know I'm going to differentiate myself from that. I think redirecting is a really good way to do that and then i think the other area is just preparation and that goes without saying most people prepare for it i'm always amazed at when people interview and we i always say i'm going to leave 15 minutes at the end for questions you have i want to make sure we get your quote because you're interviewing us too right is i want to make sure you have questions and then it's like there's two questions and you know it's like the same two questions what do the good people in your business do what are you looking for right and it's like how can you not have 30 questions right And it's just, I just think that's the stuff that the common mistake that I see is like people not being prepared to kind of take the conversation to where they're going to win the conversation and and people just not being really prepared for, it's just like, oh, I'm I've got 30 interviews because I'm really, I really need to get a job and I'm just kind of treating them all the same. And that's obviously a huge mistake. What I've always hired for since I started was this term I've heard from somebody, I don't know who probably Beretto or somebody had this term and he's like, I look for athletes. And I think like, that's the most important thing is I want to know that people, that people are committed, but they're also going to give back to the organization that they're going to come in. People that like put themselves through college and paid their way through college or feel like yourselves that go out, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this podcast. People that like go build things and go figure that's, that, those are the people I'm looking for, right? Like I'm looking for people that are high aptitude, high EQ, and they're just willing to like roll up their sleeves and work. And for whatever reason, I haven't worked in a lot of these organizations where everything's just like ready to run. And then you just like bring in a, an experienced seller and they're just going to go kill it. Right.
2: So The word you used athlete. And the the way that we talked about how Beretto built the DNA of that team, and where and what our roles were in it. So we both agreed when we came in, we were tiered down like way down because I was running an enterprise team, had had run enterprise accounts before that, and mid market was like a tough. Shane Trigg was like, yeah, we, it's this is not going to be where you want to be, you know. And then he was worried that I wanted to get back into leadership, and was like really challenging at least for me. And I know for Dan too, he wanted to hire us, but wasn't sure how it was going to work. So, but that athlete mentality, and I don't attribute it to actually like having anything to do with athleticism. It has more to do with like mindset, coachability and muscle memory, but muscle memory, not in the concept of strength of like, do you have some of the building blocks? Have you done some of the things that we're looking for? And how do we take you Because you probably already think you're really good. And I I agree. I probably thought I was really good when I was in mid-market. And I looked back and I was like, I was novice. But great leaders like you and Barretto and even Koviak and others at the time, Kevin Nearing, because your skill set was so far above ours, you could get that extra 20% out of us.
1: Matt, you just reminded me of something that I had forgotten. Like I had interviewed for Salesforce for three months. I was running new business for a $70 billion company. And enterprise sales, I'd been doing it for a long time, leading And I came to Salesforce and I was, and I interviewed with Pareto, and I was like, I'm an enterprise guy. I'm like, I'm not going to do this mid market thing. In the interview process, it covered three months because he kept coming back to me saying, You have to come in here at mid market because, like, you need the at bats. You need to see how we sell. You need the volume and velocity of these mid market deals. Otherwise, you'll just never learn it. I remember going there and thinking, Holy shit, these people are, they're way behind. Like where, where I am, this is, and, and literally within 15 days, totally knocked on my on my heels to be like, these guys are selling. This is this is sales. And I remember like, I, I've always thought like he was spot on about that. I would have never, ever picked up the Salesforce motion had I have gone right into enterprise because I just would not have been able to see the sales process unfold the way I did. And, you know, like everything else it was right.
2: The mid-market region in the Midwest, we were actually competing with the talent out on the west coast. We only lost to them by like 1 or 2% every year and we did it, right? Like Genesis Systems, the conveyor belt company was buying just as much tech as Glassdoor was in, you know, 2012. So, but I I I think there's I completely agree with that and I think you kind of closed the loop on like what that what that differentiator was for Bredo and why he was so key in finding the right people and what he looked for.
1: No, we were selling to we were selling we were selling to big ass fans instead of like like Uber. <laughs> Jamie, you, you said
0: two things. One, if you would have entered into a point at enterprise sales, you wouldn't have built the muscle memory, the scars, the victories that's needed to be a great seller. So when you got a candidate, you, know, you had mentioned you've hired over 300 people and it's a piece of leadership in terms of development that you love. When you get that candidate and they're saying all the right things, right? And they're getting you really excited about the potential of joining your sales organization how do you know that they're that athlete you know they're not ready to be an enterprise seller a commercial seller but you know they're ready to be a maybe a mid-market seller but you're going to with your skill set you're going to take them to the enterprise seller i use this example is when you look for a house and there's 40 houses and they all blend in together at some point and you go well i remember the yard in that house. And I remember I like the kitchen in this house, but the, every, every house starts to become the same. And you think about how many people you interview. How do you kind of find that, hey, I like the yard, but I also really, really like the front yard because I know that's where they're
1: going to go. It's a really good, good question. It's an important question because I, I think You know, everybody shows up to interviews and they're going to tell you how great they are and how they did everything. You know, some some cases it's true. I think you have to test for it in the interview process. Like, I I think you have to challenge. Right? A Couple of examples. Like, I've always felt that at least in the sales role, the sellers that truly know how to get to a number and have had year on year, they they can they can tell you off the top of their head what their percentage was, what their achievement was. And the people that are like, well, I was probably seventy percent that year, and I was like immediate red flag. So that's one thing is is just the questions that you ask in the process. And, and one that I love is, I always ask the question, I think most people when they're interviewing ask the question, like why such and such a company, right? Like if you think about why are you interested in Oracle or Salesforce or whomever, right? You get a lot of canned answers to that question, which is like, oh, they're, you know, top, you know, fortune, most innovative company or Oh, I, I, a couple of my friends work here, but like the back to the athlete term, the people that are really thoughtful about that question, they think immediately about how they're going to impact your organization. And that's how they answer They're like, I'm, I'm uniquely positioned for this company because what I'm going to help you do is go X, Y, and Z. I'm going to personally help you deliver what you're being asked to deliver. And because I've done X, Y, and Z in the past, I know that I can really help you. And like, I think it's something that as you interview, either because you're nervous or you want to just seem really humble. You don't want to say those things, but I think it's really important to just say it. I think I know what you guys stand for and what you're trying to accomplish here. And I can help you because I've done these things in the past. A lot of times, like people don't ask the obvious questions around like, why does your technology? Why do you lose? Like, who do you lose to? Why do you lose? Things like that. And I, the really good reps are really curious people, like salespeople, right? And I would say even even pre-sales resources, technical resources, the ones that ask really good questions because they're really, they have a high EQ and they're really curious people. And those are the best interviews I've seen, right? Because they're really prepared. You fill out those scorecards, you kind of talk about this person had great questions. So I know that they are they have high aptitude, they have high business IQ, they have high EQ. At least that's the things I'm searching for.
0: I love that you said that, Jamie, I, as part of preparation for this for these podcast series, you know, I took a few calls with recruiters and hiring managers and I tried to deliberately treat it as a discovery call of identifying the needs of the hiring manager, how I can tell stories that meets the needs of the hiring manager. And you talked about asking some bold questions. I I want your perspective on this, but well, we would get into the technology and I would say, hey, listen, it sounds like you know, you're know you in this niche. You're trying to grow out of this niche. You think about Salesforce, they're, it's CRM, but they do way more than CRM, but they're known for that. And you say, why do you beat Microsoft? How do you beat Microsoft? Why are you losing deals, right? And I'm, I'm asking those direct questions because everyone's losing deals. Everyone's getting put into a corner that they only do this in the marketplace when they solve much bigger bigger problems. Uh, and I think that shows that you have a macro view of, am I selling a niche product that's a that's trying to be a platform? And are you asking me to educate the marketplace and sell? Or are we already a platform? And I'm just trying to shift you over to, hey, we could do something smarter, better, more efficient.
2: I'm trying to pull out themes in what you're talking about, right? So like preparation is a big one, a perspective and a point of view that is genuinely your own, because you really can't be wrong. In this type of scenario, it's more of like, what's the what's the story you can tell and how how close to the pin can you get in what your products do and how they influence? Dan, you had a great thought around what if things don't go well and how, and is there an opportunity to bounce back? Because we've all done you know, probably 50-50 poor presentations and good ones throughout my career. It, it, it's realistic that good people do mess up too.
0: I talked a little bit about you could be super skilled and the interview is such a weird game. Like you could be the Michael Jordan of tech sales but if you screw up that presentation you may screw up a chance to go work at that company now if you've done really well I'd like to think maybe you get another shot at it if you're if you are that good but can you recover if you screw up that
1: presentation stage to your direct question of like can you recover the reality is you said it sometimes you can't the person on the other side was having a bad day or they're looking for something else or the person that presented you 30 minutes before you did, they just knocked it out of the park. Kind of really see the difference between the people that are that are ready for this, for the role or aren't. It, it's kind of hard to fake that process if it's handled right by the company, right? If, if it is sprinkling questions throughout that presentation, trying to get people kind of off their game to see how they react to it. I think a couple of things. One is it's in some cases you have to just be good at it. You have to be good at, at presenting. You have to be good at being comfortable with people sort of taking you off your message a little bit and being able to adapt to it. I, and I think the only way to deal with that is practice. You know, I don't think a lot of people, it's just, it's kind of, this is going to sound totally dorky, but the amount of people, not, now I have three kids, like I, I like practice things with my kids. It is like back in the day early in my career, it was like, you know, my, my now wife now, uh, then girlfriend, but like I would pa- pitch these things I, or I would practice in a mirror, like the amount of like repetition and practice and timing yourself and, and not reading slides. Like that's the other thing that I think is really important is sort of built when you're building those presentations. The worst thing you can do is memorize the content and memorize the words. The best thing you can do is sort of photographically or represent like, what's the one takeaway from every slide? If I get off my game and I get nervous, what's the one thing on that slide that I do not want to leave that slide without them truly understanding this one thing about me? And that's one of the big mistakes I just see people make is you can tell they've memorized it. They'll just freeze. Um, and I shouldn't laugh because it's it's really uncomfortable to watch. And I've I've certainly been one of those people as well that have frozen in a, in a big presentation. The other piece of it, just again, like really making sure that that you have a theme to your presentation. I'm probably presenting something I was asked to present. Take liberty, take liberty with the content that you think is really important and that's going to differentiate you from every other candidate. Because that that's the stuff. Your personality has to come out. Your adaptability has to come out. At least for for a salesperson. And finally, I'll just say questions, prepare about 50 questions that you could be asked and be prepared to answer those questions because you can probably, if you've had a few interviews, probably guess at the questions you're going to be asked. If you get asked a question that you don't like, I'm in a really technical company right now. It's a really technical sale. And some of my uh, sales engineer leaders will ask these really technical questions. There's, I don't know the answer, right? You know, the people that try to fake it through, I always say like, just acknowledge it. I don't know. right? I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to promise you between now and this next conversation we have, I will know the answer to that question, right? So I think it's just act with humility and be, and again, like redirect, right? Like if you don't want to answer that question, but you're like, I think what you're asking is this and and then sort of redirecting it to a question you do know how to answer. I think those two things kind of come come across as genuine in the process.
0: When you're negotiating for the role and you know you won the role, right? You killed it in all three phases, four phases of the interview. Now you've got the compensation stage. What are kind of your do's and don'ts when you're in that last stage.
1: Yeah, it, it used this used to be a lot easier because you could actually ask somebody how much they made. <laughs> No, you can't do that anymore. You can't even ask that anymore. It's uh, it's more difficult. I think it has a lot to do with sort of the communication throughout the process, being really upfront about what your expectations are. And I think you can do that without sort of negotiating with yourself. <laughs> I think you can just simply say like, what are the earning expectations of the role? Generally with a recruiter early on in the process, I think it kind of starts there of setting the expectation. If you're confident enough to say like, I have an expectation that's above that, that's a really important thing to establish and reestablish throughout the process. I've actually been in... Process where nobody asks that question to get to the end, and then there's an offer, and it's, you're, you're really far apart. It goes without saying, you have to set the expectation early on, you have to ask questions early on, and then just like a sales cycle, continue to revalidate throughout the process. The second thing is, you know, what I'm interviewing, I always ask at the end, if we're not aligned, let's just say like, one, I'm really excited that you guys have decided that I'm a good fit for the organization. Couldn't be happier. And I'm, I'm really excited to see the offer you guys are going to put forward. Just out of curiosity, if we're not aligned, if the offer comes out and it where is the area in, in your compensation package where there's room for negotiation? As I just asked that, right? Is it is it with equity? Is it on the variable comp? it is in the base, like surprising how few people can answer are willing to answer that question. And it's like, well, I'll have to get back to you. Or it's generally with the recruiter that you're you're dealing with, right? You're not really dealing with the decision maker, the person that's actually, you're going to go work for it. I don't want to be disingenuous and come back to you with something if somehow it doesn't, if we're not aligned. It's, I just think, you know, some people, the people that know their, their process will tell you.
2: Like if you think back to some of the best questions you've got, lay out any gray areas
1: that you might have,
2: what are some of the best questions You've been asked.
1: I I mean, one of the questions, and, and keep in mind, like I'm hiring mostly for sellers and leaders of sellers, so salespeople, sales roles. You know, some of the best questions are just. those really specific questions where you can tell that the individual knows how to be successful. So it's things like walk me through the comp plan, like actually walk me through how the comp plan works. Tell me what the comp plan is, but just, I want you to walk back from your most successful people. How much are they making? What percentage of your people are making their on-target earnings? And then specifically walk me through what component in the comp plan, where do you get accelerators at what percentage? Again, back to the athlete thing. (laughs) The best athletes, the people that are perennially making, achieving targets and exceeding targets. They just know how to deconstruct a comp plan. And so those are always to me the best questions because I I know that those people, when you get them in the door, they're going to go, the best sellers go figure out the comp plan first and then go deconstruct that and work backwards from what the comp plan is. As much as as a leader, you may not want that. The reality is like those are the best sellers and those are the people you want. So I think that's one thing Matt, kind of transitions to like when you're in the door, right? Because I think the other piece is how do we onboard these people? The people that do the Research on the front end, they're always the people that ramp the fastest because they have a plan, right? Their calendar reflects the plan. They come in every day. They know how to network internally. They have already done the research to kind of figure out how this product's gonna fit in the market. I think those two things, those two kind of question areas are are two things that I've seen be really effective for me.
0: So Jamie, I swear to our listeners, I didn't prompt him for this, but when Matt and I started winning the interview, this mission of helping two thousand sellers get back to work due to the layoffs. So we walk them through on setting the tone, treat the interview like a sales cycle. And then obviously, after you do that, you have to tell effective 60 to 90 second deal stories. You got to tell the story of you, and then you can win the compensation. But after you get the role in season two, we're going to talk a lot about how to win the onboarding because your first 90 days. And what Jamie's touching upon here is they're Are a number of different things once you get into that role, and if you got to you got to prove you are who you say you. In that interview process, you're walking them through how you think, how you sell, because you're treating it like a sales cycle. And then, can you prove in the ninety day interview? Me and Matt talk about in the ninety day onboarding. That's an interview. Your 120 days is an interview. Every interaction you have in any organization, you're either interviewing someone else or they're interviewing you, and you need to treat that like a sales cycle.
2: Yeah, there's so much synergy between what you just outlined there and an actual negotiation process when you're with a customer, and and you're trying to ensure that your budgets are aligned and and your proposal is going to match the budget. Or like, are you just is your product just out of the solution based on the fact that too far apart from a cost pay perspective? I love the idea too, and you mentioned this earlier of validating your ask with what you've brought to those organizations prior. So it could be whether it's an ACV component of your attainment year over year, 50% above target. And that's what I perceive that I'll achieve here. That's why I'm asking for more money. Or you talk about the growth or or the profit you've pushed or whatever it might be in those previous roles, just like you would when you're making a proposal, you back it with a business value justification is, and you negotiate off of that versus your feelings and wants. And it gives you a lot more meat in the conversation. To Dan's point earlier, I think it speaks a lot for your leadership style when two guys that never worked with you, at least for me, a voice of reason on the floor in a culture and a team at that time, which was a little insane. It's been nice to know you long enough that our hairstyles are finally matching.
1: What what I loved about the group that we had together that time is like, I I always look back and say like that was the best of the best in sort of like the talent that was at Salesforce at that period of time. Like I just haven't seen it. And like people came from all kinds of backgrounds and I haven't totally nailed what it was. But like with honesty and humility, I think if you at least at least for me, like I'm always looking for honesty and humility and just I'm going to shoot you straight.